Clovis, building a healthy life together. What's up, everybody? Justin Nault here with another Just Justin episode of the Perfect Paleo Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to this podcast and leave me a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. That is probably the most impactful way to help me spread the word of Clovis through these podcast reviews. Please leave me a review on your favorite podcast platform. It really, really helps. If you'd like to work with me one-on-one for some lifestyle coaching, you can check out IamClovis.com slash start S-T-A-R-T, imclovis.com slash start. You can get yourself a free seven-day trial, see what Clovis is all about. Visit the website, and hopefully we can work together. Enjoy the show. Well, hello, and welcome to my podcast. So this is my second attempt at really letting listeners in deep into my personal life. So... If you're a part of Clovis and you see me live in the Facebook groups every day and just constantly communicating with the audience there, you know that I'm a big fan of Deep Work, Uh, not just the amazing book by the same name, Deep Work by Cal Newport, which I highly recommend. Um, I mean the deep work, like the personal stuff, the work on yourself, the self-growth piece of the health and wellness journey, which is often overlooked uh, by most people in the space and incredibly, incredibly important. It's really a a shame to me that the health and wellness space is just so microscopically focused on things like weight loss and physique, and they really miss the big picture. It's like I constantly talk about life after success and what do you do once you have the foundations of health and wellness in place? Then what? Right? If you get that six-pack abs, what, what happens after that? That's where the deep work comes in. That's where you need to be willing to learn about yourself. And I've been going really deep lately uh, in the last couple years really trying to learn about myself as much as possible. I think that if you ever want real change in life, you have to get down to the things that motivate you because very rarely as adults do we actually understand what it is that motivates us and our behavior. So for this episode, I'm going to go real deep with you here, with my audience. Uh, not scary at all, right? <laughs> so uh, let's, let's dive into this thing. And, and, and again, the reason I think this is so important is because it helps me give my audience, uh, which is mostly women, a glimpse into the male mind, particularly the type A mind of a high performer, Uh, which I've only recently uh, even gotten comfortable using the term high performer for myself. Uh, I mean, I I can see the just stupid work output and accomplishments on paper, but it's as if I'm looking at someone else's life, not my own, if that makes any sense. Um, Through some of this very deep work, I'm now able to recognize that as an insecurity, Um, I don't see myself the way the rest of the world sees me. Uh, And I'm going to outline that for you with some stories. Um, But first things first, your worldview changes drastically when you realize that all adults, all of us, literally all of us, are just little kids in grown-up bodies. That's it. I said that to my dad once. My dad's 59 years old, and I said, when... Dad, when do you start to feel like a grown-up? And he said, you don't. 
and it was so honest. And, and I, I thank him for giving me such an honest answer. Um, but if you start picturing the world that way, then many adult behaviors that didn't previously make any sense to you will start to make a whole lot of sense. I mean, not only are we all little kids in grown-up bodies, but we are also all just big, giant, tensed-up balls of insecurity. That's it. We are all riddled with it. Like, the most arrogant among us are the most insecure. And that's really just a cold, hard fact of life. Everything that we do as adults comes from the experiences of our childhood and how the world shaped our opinions of ourselves, not our opinions of others, but of ourselves, our own self-worth. So I like to use the example of the, the old stereotype. Now, this would be back before GPS and iPhones, of course, but there was the old stereotype of men not wanting to ask for directions. If you really stop and think about it, that whole stereotype and idea is the equivalent of a four-year-old boy screaming, no, mommy, I don't want help. I can dress myself. I'm smart. <laughs> right? Like, it's the same shit. It's just harder to recognize as an adult. And it all comes down to the topic of self-worth. That's what it's all about. And in my case, if you've ever Googled me, which sounds ridiculous to say. Uh, yeah, that sounds super weird. But if you ever have, I'm not hard to find. I've done some things in my 32 years on this earth, right? Um, I have always been tremendously driven. I'm literally incapable of not being a workaholic. I, I just know this to be true. But it's really just the last two years that I've been able to start putting the pieces together of why I am that way. And you're never going to understand yourself until you expose the why, the why behind your behavior, which is what I've been trying to untangle in myself for quite some time now. And I'm hoping that my experience can point you in the right direction to figure out your why, the why behind your behaviors, right? So let's jump into some stories. Um, when I was a kid, we used to go visit Pepe Nault. Uh, we're... We're French-Canadian, so Pepe is grandfather, and I'm talking about Pepe Nall, my dad's dad. Now, I'm one of 27 grandkids, I believe, just on my dad's side, so these family parties were very crowded, um, and my Pepe had this, really, it was just the ultimate collection of VHS tapes. I mean, floor-to-ceiling bookshelves just filled with these VHS tapes. He recorded everything. Like his house was basically a blockbuster video. And me and my cousins, uh, Andrew and Josh, we would show up at Pepe's house. We'd give our obligatory hugs <laughs> to our relatives and say hello. Uh, man, that's, that's a whole other thing. Uh, stop, stop forcing your kids to hug people when they don't want to. Like, get over here and give grandma a hug right now. Like, you don't do that. You're, you're teaching them that people can use them for love and physical touch whenever they want, and they have no say in the matter. Um, can anybody say future sexual dysfunction? <laughs> Fun. Okay. Uh, side note on hugs. Yes. So me and my cousins would be at Pepe's house. Uh, we would we'd say hello and hug our relatives. And then we would grab VHS tapes of our favorite action heroes, namely Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. 
Uh, occasionally, you'd throw in a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, but he was he's lame compared to Arnold and Sly, right? Let's, let's be honest about this. But occasionally, he'd get thrown in there. And we would take these VHS tapes, and then we would head off to this spare bedroom in my Pepe's house upstairs with a tiny little TV, and we would just watch hours of The Terminator, Rocky, Commando, uh, Cobra, Time Cop, Rambo, like, and any other just viciously violent films you could think of. Uh, of course, this is back in the good old days when we didn't have helicopter parents, and we watched whatever we wanted. <laughs> we would basically alternate between these action hero movies and these compilation videos of hockey fights because uh, we were all hockey players. So, I mean, we, I just grew up watching just endless violence, really. <laughs> and uh, so to take it back even further, my dad has four brothers. Um, there are five boys and two girls. And all the boys, the Nault boys, are just really tough kids. Well, they were really tough kids growing up. They're just street fighters back in the day. My Uncle Mike was a Golden Gloves boxer, right? We're full-blood French-Canadian, and hockey is just in our blood. We all just grew up playing hockey and fighting. It's just part of being a Nault, like, to be a, a tough guy, right? Uh, it was basically passed down from generation to generation. I mean, I kid you not, when I was a kid— my nickname on the hockey team was the henchman, and uh, because I once led the league in both goals and minutes in the penalty box, I was just a very, very physical hockey player. Um, when the Mighty Ducks movie came out, uh, our, our coaches—my dad was always my coach—and then there was assistant coaches, and my brother and I played on a lot of the same teams. So the coaches nicknamed us the Bash Brothers after the Mighty Ducks movie came out because that's just how we played hockey. It was just physical little kids, right? So fast forward, uh, by the time I was 13, my parents had split up and my dad and my brother moved out. Now, of course, my dad was still around. It wasn't like I lost my dad or anything. Anyone who's in Clovis knows how close my entire family is now. But I mean, we had some really hard years, uh, just like any family, I suppose. And I'll just never forget when my dad moved out, he made me man of the house. So it was just me, my mom, and my little sister, right? And it was now my job to protect my sister and my mom. And this story sounds a little heartwarming and, and you know, cute and innocent, right? Like dad passing the torch, like, all right, son, you're the man of the house now. You know, take care of your mom and your sister. But when you really stop and think about it, that's a big responsibility. Even if my dad didn't mean it in a super serious way, in my little kid brain, I didn't know that. So that's a really big responsibility to drop on the shoulders of a little dude who's not even old enough to take care of himself, right? And these seeds that adults plant in the minds of children, they, they fester. They can become the most important things in the world. And adults have to be really careful because a statement made by an adult that to them was funny or silly or non-important to a kid, that can literally shape their entire worldview, right? So at 13 years old, out of nowhere, I just became man of the house. And I took this very seriously. Something about that moment shaped me in a way that just could never be undone. Um, so aside from this growing up, I mean, there there was trauma for sure, you know, a, a, a a divorced family with very little parental supervision um, over the years. I got myself into a lot of 
bad spots as a kid. I'm not talking normal run-of-the-mill kid stuff. I mean, I got myself into some bad situations and uh, maybe someday I'll be, I'll be comfortable enough to talk about those things publicly, but I am definitely not there yet. So we'll see what the future holds. But anyway, um, okay. So what, what does all of this ranting have to do with my work ethic? Um, that's, that's really the heart of this episode because as long as I can remember, it's always been incredibly important for me to be a quote unquote tough guy, right? I, I just really wanted to be a tough guy. Um, it was somehow my job to protect everyone. At some point, it just switched from mom and sister to everyone. I love underdog stories. I have always loved underdog stories. I protected the nerds in school, literally. I would sit in class and daydream about the school being overtaken by bad guys so I could save the day, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, I literally would daydream about this just sitting in class. I'd write stories about it as well. Um, and growing up... Uh, this is a little silly, but I was one of the toughest kids in school. And I say that silly because I didn't think so in my head. Um, this was simply according to rumor and sheer social status. Uh, in my mind, it was just nothing but insecurity. I was, I was constantly worried about being exposed or being beaten in a fight. Um, I just didn't want to be exposed, but nobody ever really tested it. Um, as, as a high school kid, I only had to fight a few times and that, that went my way, luckily. Um, but the only reason that nobody ever really tried to test me or expose me was because that growing up when I was younger, elementary school, middle school, like I beat the hell out of a few bullies in my day. And, uh, those stories just carried me. They really carried me through high school. I never really had to fight anyone. Um, it was all just this kind of hype that Justin was crazy tough. You know, my kids knew about hockey. Kids knew about my street fights when I was younger. They just knew me and my brother was a very tough kid. He had a really, really firm reputation as a fighter. Um, but yeah, just, just my whole life, everyone just called me tough. I just always thought of as tough, right? Um, so here comes a story that really just explains this whole thing and helps give you some perspective. Um, and my dad shared this recently at a dinner party we were at, and it just, just brought it back to the forefront of my memory. But my dad likes to tell a story about the one time he ever saw me cry during a hockey game as a kid. So dad was my coach. And midway through my shift, uh, I was playing defense. I had been hit by a slap shot. So this kid shot on net, slap shot. I got in front of it, um, was hit by the puck. And what I didn't know at the time was that the puck broke my elbow pad and also broke my elbow. But I just was not like other kids. So I stayed on the ice. I, I finished out my shift. I was stick handling with one hand and trying to just kind of shake the other arm, like trying to shake the pain off. Um, my dad tells the story. He's really animated when he tells it because he was – he was literally yelling at me from the bench, like, put your hands on the stick. What are you doing? Like I was stick handling and, you know, with one hand and he was yelling at me, get your hands on the stick, get your hands on the stick. Right. And when we finally had a line change, I, I made my way to the bench and sat down on the bench and just looked down at the floor. And I'll never forget my dad came over and he grabbed my face mask and lifted my helmet up to look at my face. And he saw tears streaming down my face and he just knew. He, he picked me up, took me off the ice. We left immediately and headed for the hospital where, where x-rays confirmed the break. And that's just how I grew up. Um, 
you know, for dad to say that, he he tells the story and just explains, I saw tears on his face and I knew we were going to the hospital. Um, I, I, For some reason to me, it was just always absurdly important that I just be the baddest dude on earth. That's that's what it was in my head. I just had to be a savage. And if you could hear him tell the story, he just he says it so matter of factly. He just says, "Listen, this kid didn't cry no matter what." So I knew we had to go to the hospital. I mean, it was that big of a deal. Um you know, I, I really just, it's always been a part of my identity. I was the kid who would get in trouble for punching bullies in the face. I just, I hated bullies and I loved the underdogs. And I would just, I'd punch the bullies because I knew the underdogs wouldn't punch them. So, I mean, I don't know if any of this sounds familiar to you, fans of Clovis or, or people that have consumed my work for any length of time, but I'd imagine that if you really stop and think about it, some of this will sound quite familiar. Or maybe you can picture me on camera during an AMA just screaming red in the face about how these bullshit companies are lying to you, stealing your money, and blaming you because their shitty programs don't work. Like, they're all bullies, man. In my eyes, they're just all bullies. And I have a fundamental problem with that. And I mean, the CEOs of these companies I talk about, they don't ever want to meet me. I I promise you. So, (laughs) I mean, all these stories said, it's like, are, are things starting to come together for you? And what I'm trying to piece together with this episode, um, I'm trying to outline the fact that somewhere along the line, as a young kid, I started to define myself by how savage I am. I mean, I really can't even express to you how important being a tough guy has been to me my entire life. I mean, it's, it's why I'm obsessed with combat sports and heavy lifting, right? When, when I first started seeing a therapist, I found myself saying things like, you know, I'd be, I'd be talking to her about my generation and I'd just say, I just don't understand how women are attracted to hipsters, like the guys from my generation, the millennials in skinny jeans. Like I just can't understand it. Like if you're dating someone, how can you be attracted to someone who can't protect you? Like if I'm out with someone I'm dating and someone attacks us, unless they have a gun that they know how to use very well, they are going to have a really bad night, just 100%. It's unquestionable in my mind because I've built myself to be a certain type of man. And that's this unquenchable hero mindset that I have. I've always had it. And I haven't really gotten completely to the heart of the matter just yet. I mean, I'm working on it every day. Um, and I know it's not healthy. I mean, sure, it's, it's gotten me to where I am, but at what cost? And now we'll get into the cost side of things. Um, I'm telling you all this to teach you a reality. And that reality is that our childhood defines us as adults. It just does. You can work as hard as you want to untangle it, but it is pretty well cemented. And the best you can really hope for, and what I hope for, is to just understand why you are the way you are first. Before you can ever hope to change anything about yourself or your habits, you have to understand why you have those habits first. So most of what we deal with as adults are matters of self-worth, almost all of them. So my little boy brain somewhere decided that if I wasn't like Arnold Schwarzenegger or or Sylvester Stallone, 
I was nothing. I was worse than nothing. I was a weakling. I was a girly man or a sissy. And that, to me, was a fate worse than death. So from a single-digit age, I started building what my therapist calls my Iron Man suit. So again, here we have another cute little analogy uh, to describe a very real situation, uh, metaphor, whatever you want to call it. But I have built walls around that little boy that are so thick that nobody can get through them. I assure you, I am a 32-year-old single man whose single biggest challenge in life is intimacy. I am invincible in the worst way possible. I am fully impenetrable. So when you see the world through the lens of a tough guy, uh, life is, is much harder than you think it is because your comfort zone becomes just intense expressions of masculinity. And that's why I've always felt so comfortable with the anger emotion and not comfortable at all with true intimacy. I really don't know what true intimacy is. You know, I can, I can openly admit that now. Um, the tough guy mindset just takes over and completely runs the show. I just strap on the Iron Man suit and go for it, right? So I'm going to give you another example um, recently. And I just did a podcast with Trisha Nelson, um, the author of the book, Heal Your Hunger. And I actually bring up this incident as well because it's very important um, to me. It was a, a big moment of realization for me. But I, I recently had this tiny little incident at a family gathering that brought up some old childhood trauma. Um, not a huge deal to anyone else. It's really nothing that anybody else would have noticed. We were just sitting around swapping stories, and it brought up some old stuff from my past uniquely. Um, and the next morning, I woke up feeling very sad. And I didn't tell anyone this. And instead of sitting with that feeling and trying to understand it, I went straight out to the garage, and I started lifting weights. And I'm talking... <laughs> absurdly heavy weights, much, much heavier than usual, you know, probably to the point of near injury. And when I felt I couldn't lift anymore, I went straight into the sauna and I sat in my sauna for over an hour until my skin was bright red and burned. And I just, I feared passing out to be honest. So I left the, the sauna and went straight into an ice cold shower and did as many minutes in that ice cold shower feeling like razor blades as I possibly could. Um, I literally find comfort in pain. It's as if I binge on fitness and pain. Um, it's just always there for me when I need it. I can always count on it, right? The problem is I am absolutely self-aware enough to recognize when I'm doing this. And as a result, when the experience is over, the self-deprecating begins, just internal self-talk like, dude, you are a fucking psychopath. Like, what is the matter with you? Who are you trying to impress? Why are you doing this to yourself? Why do you always do this? And on and on and on it goes. So just like I said in my episode last week, I want to ask you if any of this sounds familiar. Even if you can't relate to my savagery, you can't relate to my tough guy stories, you have your own stories. And I'm asking you if any of what I just said sounds familiar. So let me spell it out. Self-deprecation, right? 
doing things to yourself that you know to be harmful, but you do them anyway. Or falling into old habits that make you dislike yourself. So, I mean, my comfort is pain, but your comfort might be ice cream or potato chips or worse, an eating disorder, you know, a binge or a purge or something like that. But I keep telling you my stories to try to help you understand that once you define the why behind your behaviors, it becomes much easier to tease out the things in life that you know are good for you and that you know are bad for you. You can find the triggers. You can identify the triggers. So for me, I mean, simply even just recording this podcast might help me the next time a trigger comes about, rears its ugly head. The next time I'm feeling sad, I might think, to sit down on the couch, read a book, have a cup of coffee, maybe journal about how I'm feeling. The next time I'm feeling sad, maybe I won't punish my body. Maybe I might find a little bit of empathy for myself. Or maybe I'll find a little bit of empathy the next time I see someone behaving like a bully in public. Or maybe if I have enough of these moments and learning experiences... Maybe someday it will help me actually let someone in and let someone meet the little boy, part of Justin, who is hidden away somewhere behind massive walls of armor. Maybe then I can actually experience intimacy. This kind of work might help me to see myself in the mirror as I am. Instead of looking in the mirror... And seeing a chubby 13-year-old boy. To be totally honest with you, I see Justin the man in the mirror. And my brain thinks, I don't know that person with all of the muscles. I don't recognize him. I don't know who that is. That is a movie character that I have built around the real me. The pudgy little kid. I've built that muscled out man for protection. That's the truth. (laughs) I mean... We are all just pudgy little kids behind walls of armor. That's what being a grown-up is. So when I talk to you about life after success, that's how I define it for myself. My version of life after success, my endeavor, my mission, my goal for life after success is to tear down the armor piece by piece so I can find my inner child and set him free. So, does that sound too woo-woo for you? If so, tough shit. Want to fight about it? (laughs) Uh, And then there you have it. The tough guy takes over again. For now. But I'm working on it. And every single day is an opportunity to get a little bit better at recognizing him, recognizing the tough guy, and just letting him know that there's really nothing to be afraid of anymore, man. You made it. You're a grown-up. We did all right, Justin. You're safe. Put down your fists and start asking for hugs. I got a good thing somewhere, somewhere. But I closed my eyes and lost my way. I 